Well, hello there. I beg your pardon and sorry for the mess. Someone spilled the Leviathan blood and left the mini Mako reactor running again. Anyhow, you're listening to MageCast, the ensemble podcast by the well-read mage and a cast of mages. Each episode, I sit down with my rotating panel of magical guests to have some civil discourse about a single game. We're a group of games writers dedicated to clarity, integrity, and depth in long-form critique. You can find us on WordPress at thewellreadmage.com. MageCast is part of the Little Fella Media Podcast Network, now sponsored by top-tier podcast host Buzzsprout. Crowdfunding support makes projects like MageCast possible. If you enjoy our work, written or otherwise, you can become a warrior of light, a patron and supporter at patreon.com forward slash thewellreadmage. Check it out for more information on our vision for the future of games writing and gaming community, as well as exclusive audio bonus content and rewards like membership cards and our secret Discord HQ Mage Chat. Links are in the description. Oh, and now let's start the show. Oh, I know. I had a question for you guys. How the heck do you pronounce? Is it somniloquy? Yeah. Somniloquy, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Yep, sleep talking. Yeah, sleep talk. I had to look it up. I was like, that's something <laughs> to do with sleep. But yeah, somniloquy. I I was like, is it somniloquy? Because there's no O. Yeah. That is a I I won a game of hangman yesterday, you guys, by using that word. So thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> cool. Fantastic. Yeah. I have a really smart coworker and him and I play hangman all the time. So I won with that one. He didn't guess. Oubliette, he didn't guess. Nice. And Geodesic, he didn't guess. A uh, Labyrinth, uh, the Jim Henson movie would have. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's an Oubliette. Uh, yeah. Phantasmagoria, that's another good one. That's a good one, yeah. He got me with a real short word, though. I can't remember what it was. And I was just like, how dare you? How dare you? Oh, it was paroxysm. Uh, that's, a, that's a rough word, though. You know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of MageCast. I'm delighted to be with you today. Just wanted to put out a few announcements first of all. The first thing I wanted to announce is that we're going to be uh, featuring a few new bits of content, a few new types of content, rather, on the wellreadmage.com that you can look forward to in the near future. The first one's going to be a kind of second opinion article. Sometimes, believe it or not, mages disagree. <gasps> but that's okay, because unity without unanimity. Okay, it's oh, we could still be one community, even though we don't have all the same perspectives and beliefs. Um, so a second opinion will basically be a re-review of a currently reviewed game, a re-critique, as long as there's a significant departure in perspective. Um, We're also going to be doing uh, something that we're tentatively calling right now Demo Disc. It's going to be a first impressions kind of a post, uh, much shorter than our typical long-form critique, but kind of giving just our basic initial impressions about a new release. Uh, And then thirdly, we're going to be doing a series called Eyes on Me, another Final Fantasy reference. Uh, highlighting a single game from any era, console, or company. Just the the goal of that series will be to talk about the underappreciated, the underloved, the obscure, the otherwise unknown. Uh, so look out for those on 
the well-read mage as we continue to pick up more writers we're getting a lot of diverse kinds of content a lot of diverse perspectives and i think that's great um the next thing you can look out for uh coming up toward the end of this month is the game of the year reader's choice event for 2012 so this is i think our fourth game of the year event that we're going to be doing it's basically where uh our writers will put forth a nomination for game of the year for that year and uh readers can then vote on which game they think we should nominate as game of the year for that year so in this case it's going to be 2012 um I'm going to be nominating Journey because, heck yeah, I'm nominating Journey. So look out for that. Uh, another thing that we're going to be having is an Ask Me Anything event. Um, I'm going to be hosting that one for myself. It's about the book that I wrote recently, The Last Stitch Goes Through It. The Last Stitch Goes Through The Nose. I couldn't even say it in a single breath. But there it is. Uh, so that's probably going to take place on Reddit. Uh, I'll be putting out announcements for that as we near that time. It's going to be July 27th. But you can ask me any questions about the book itself, about the themes of the book, about writing the book, about publishing the book, self-publishing, working with Amazon, uh, and all that. Uh, a couple new patrons I want to give a shout-out to. Thank you guys for your support of independent gaming journalism. We got Mo Gamer, Eros Elric, Backlog Crusader, Tobmaki, Evil Wizard Esquire, Arrow Rush, Crypto Sanity, Seabass the Great, and Eric Townsend, our newest patrons. Thank you very much. And then finally, for announcements, I wanted to shout out the Little Fella Media Podcast Network. So we have a podcast network currently sponsored by Buzzsprout uh, and featuring a couple of awesome shows you guys should check out, just like this one. Which, if you're listening to this right now, I guess you're checking out this show. But So we've got MageCast, we've got SideQuests, we've got Opinioneering, we've got GamerHeads, and we've got CakeBites. These are all great shows you guys should check out if you're into games, if you're into talking about games. Um, I listened to CakeBites recently, and she interviewed the guy who created Echo the Dolphin. And I was like, holy moly, this is sweet! Yeah, it was really it was it was awesome stuff. So you guys need to check those out. Gamerheads, they just did a podcast episode on the tariffs talk, and man, there's some great shows to listen to, y'all. So uh, we got a couple other shows coming down the line to this network. I'm not gonna announce their names yet because I don't want to rob that joy from the creators of those podcasts. But you can look out for those coming soon. And that's it for announcements. So let me get into introductions here. Okay, um, let's 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 just we'll we'll obviously have to take turns. I uh, can't have both of you introducing yourselves simultaneously. <laughs> but uh, uh, Ian, TB, Teacher Bloke, let's start with you, sir. Hello. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Whichever it may be. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is ten a.m. here right now. <laughs> uh, quarter past six in the afternoon here so uh, yep i'm uh, ian or teacher bloke tb whichever you like all right and you know what i'm always just mildly disappointed when i talk to people from different regions that they don't have this massively stereotypical accent <laughs> we we're kind of <laughs> talking about like i really wanted you to get on the podcast and be like i don't know but i don't go and talk about it my gosh 
Right. I can get a cup of tea if you like. <laughs> That's close enough. Hey, <laughs> but it's great. Thank you for bringing some Britishism to this episode. I appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. All right. So uh, what are you playing right now? And what are you working on? Anything that you're creating? I've been playing a lot of Judgment on PS4 today. Um, a friend of mine recommended it to me, said I'll really, really enjoy it. I've tried the Yakuza games before and not really taken to them, but I'm really enjoying this one at the moment. So maybe this is kind of my gateway to the series. Uh, in terms of writing at the moment, I'm working on a little bit of Mage Crit at the moment for Monster Max on the Game Boy. Heck yeah, retro. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, Judgment, is that the newest Yakuza? Yeah, the one that uh, just came out back end of last month, I think it was. Okay, because I can't keep up with that series. I've never played it either, <laughs> but every time they're like, this is Yakuza 0 0.2965260. I just like... Yakuza Pie, the next yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> bro, I don't even know what, what game this is, so... That's awesome. Well, we'll look forward to your mage crit, and uh, maybe you'll have some thoughts on Yakuza that you'll share on Twitter or anything like that that we can look out for. Okay, um, okay my next guest is Eros. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Greetings, gamers. Uh, my name's Eros Elric, also known as the Teal Time Mage on the WellRaidMage.com. I'm from upstate New York, and right now I'm currently writing a few articles. I'm working on my third article on cause and effect ratio which yes. is going to compare um i believe it's silent hill origins and big trouble in little china <laughs> oh nice and, yeah and that is a that's an interesting uh series that you've got going there the idea of what might be some inspirational connections between games and film um i thought the uh the rocket night or was it rocket night adventures right it was Rocket Knight Revengers and uh, the Rocketeer. I think right. was the first our first article going out. And that one, I was like, "Well, that makes total sense. <laughs> it has to be." Yeah. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way it wasn't uh, connected somehow. And currently, I'm playing the expansion for Final Fantasy XIV called Shadowbringers. Hope to write a review of that probably in the ne next uh, coming month. Oh man, that. Uh, yeah, as a Final Fantasy fan that has not played 14, that warms my tender heart. That's great. It's so good so far. I highly recommend it. Uh, I just can't. I can't with MMOs. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but we we talked about uh, Black Humor Mage and myself talked about mm. Uh, mm. Uh, DC Universe Online, which will mm, probably yeah. be my last uh, MMO. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. I, I love the idea, and I love Final Fantasy. If I mm. could try one MMO, it would be Final Fantasy fourteen. Mm. But it's kind of hard for me to stomach the MMO these days. That's uh, understandable. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, those yeah. games are huge. Yeah, and you have to kind of keep up with them. You know, it's not like you can take, like, a month off, and, like, when you come in, it's just there's so much content you have to go through to, to catch yourself up. All right, well, today we're going to be talking about Shadow Hearts, mm. uh, which was released originally in 2001 in North America and Japan, and as always, 2002 in <laughs> the EU. Sorry, Ian. It's just say the way, no more, say no uh, more. It's just the way life is for some reason. They're like, oh yeah, we forgot about Europe. <laughs> then, forgot about Dre. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was on the PlayStation 2. Developed by Sacknoth, um, 
published in Japan under Aruz and internationally by Midway. The title of this episode is Casual Discourse on Somniloquy, which evidently is <laughs> evidently is a uh, a quote from this game that I've not played. So uh, Ian is just giggling. That's <laughs> it's a beautiful it's a beautiful line, but it is so so JRPG melodrama. So it really is, and yeah. especially in the context of the game, it takes. Um, the quote is said when a plane is on fire and going down and they have just enough time to say look here, this is no time for casual discourse on somniloquy and it cracks me up. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't say something like, oh, I don't know. Ah! Instead you'd say, <laughs> instead you'd say this is no time for casual discourse on somniloquy. Ignorance, yeah. no. Oh, man. That's just brilliant. That's that's the beauty of the JRPG, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, I have not played this game, as I just mentioned. So a lot of this podcast is going to be resting on my, my two guests. Uh, I can't really speak to anything in the game. I did listen to the soundtrack, um, which I enjoyed. So, And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I just kind of wanted to capture uh, your first impressions uh, when did you folks first play this game? For myself, it was on release date. And uh, the thing was, the PlayStation 2 at the time was so starved for games in this genre. We had mm-hmm. um, Orphan Scion of Sorcery on right. uh, console release date. And there was Eternal Ring, mm. I think, was just shortly afterwards. And I was just dying for another turn-based rpg at the time something that was playstation one style that i could relate to and Mm. when i saw the box i thought this looks amazing and i it's only afterwards that i realized it's related to another playstation one game that i love so save that for later but yeah uh, we'll talk about that yeah fantastic game from start to finish and uh yeah absolutely love it all right how about you eros uh, well, I played it like some years like later. I think it was, you know, during the time when we would get like used game stores around the mm-hmm. shopping malls and I stopped in and there was a copy of it and it was only for like 20 bucks. And at this time, I still like played the PS2 like, you know, a lot for just to use games that I could never like find elsewhere. And, you know, when the when the store manager say, hey, this is you know, it's like. I was saying, like, do you have any copies of Kadelka handy? And he says, well, we got this game. It was, like, basically the sequel to it. And I was like, seriously? Like, seriously? So <laughs> I picked it up. I, I, You know, I went home and I played it. Um, and it, it was pretty good. I mean, it, it's not... It's not the same as Kodelka. I think it would be more fair to say it's a spiritual successor to it. There's bits and pieces, that connective tissue. But altogether, it's it's really kind of a different entity altogether. Okay. And I specifically want to talk about uh, in a minute here uh, what connections there are to Kodoka. So that I read that, and I did research the game um, a little bit, um, just so I wasn't like, wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> but um, uh, they kind of co- just called it straight up a sequel. But I want to know what are the what are the connections uh, between this and Kodoka, and what's its place in the the context of the series as a whole. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, 
that I kind of got the gist of uh, is that Shadow Hearts is a cult classic. What do you guys mm. think about that? Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's definitely a fan favorite. And while it might not have the the clout of like your Final Fantasies or your you know Wild Arms or anything uh, to that lines, it is something that's a very niche title. It's very esoteric but Mm -hmm. you know it's worthwhile because the playstation one and two they have a way of like giving these really hidden gems that you don't really find out about until like you know years or i would even argue decades after the release yeah no absolutely well they had they had massive libraries Mm. uh and so i think i'm still discovering uh some some games from even the playstation one that i was like oh i didn't know this was a game uh so that's that's cool and i think that um the cold classic is the gist that i got because there are a lot of people that are really passionate about this game um well no i mean i guess to phrase it more properly is there are a few people who are very very passionate about this game but there are a lot of people who are like i have not played that before um yeah i think you only have to look on uh Twitter and mentioned Shadow Hearts and suddenly there's people like myself keep popping out the woodwork on every thread on Shadow Hearts saying, Oh, did you say Shadow Hearts? And Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. do you have that hashtag up. notification on your phone? <laughs> like how do you find this? <laughs> I've just got a Shadow Hearts radar, I must have. Yeah. Uh, You're like wake up in the middle of the night. Somebody mentioned Shadow Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um another thing that I thought was interesting when I was researching Shadow Hearts is it seems like it's a very unique combination of inspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the ones that I that I saw were uh, Cosmic Horror or Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, obviously, RPG, JRPG elements. Um, it referenced a manga called Devilman. Uh, Pachinko. Um, fighters. Uh, alternate history. And obviously, there's a lot of horror elements in there, too. So, um, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot going on there. One thing I wanted to do to kind of get a better idea of, um, say, like, what, what this game is, um, is run it through a bunch of themes that I saw for Lovecraftian horror. And I'm going to kind of read these off and maybe give a brief explanation if I need to. And you guys let me know if this is something that appears in shadow hearts or not does that make sense okay yeah okay yeah and maybe we'll take turns we'll start with ian on one and then and then uh we'll you know we'll have arrows do the second one and then we'll go back and forth we'll alternate yeah Yeah, Uh, no worries cool cool uh have you guys read lovecraft before uh yeah yeah, bits and pieces sorry (laughs) go ahead tv i find no i i uh, i read um call of cthulhu at university long long Mm. time ago oh nice uh, and you, Eros, you've read uh, bits and pieces, you said? Uh, yeah, I dabbled a bit with um, like the original like movies that I watched growing up. Like Reanimator apparently originated with mm-hmm. Lovecraft. Even like uh, the Evil Dead series, like the Necronomicon, all that really traces back to Lovecraft. So I dabbled here and there. Um, Shadows Over Innsmouth is probably my favorite of the Lovecraftian stories. Okay. The first one I read... Uh, one of the few that I completed was uh, At the Mountains of Madness, mm, which yeah. I think is just a stellar piece of fiction. Absolutely. Um, it's one of those where he withholds a lot, you know, and, and lets your mind kind of wander and imagine all these things. 
just one of the most frightening things I've ever read, uh, where the, one of the protagonists, I think it was, comes back to the tent of the scientists and discovers that they'd been taken apart and put back together um, by beings that were studying them. And I was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so, so fantastically written as well. Yeah, just... yeah. Everything about it just puts that image straight in your mind, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, uh, he's definitely a very visual writer. Um, mm. A lot of the words I had to look up, like, "What the heck is Euclidean? What the heck is Cyclopean?" <laughs> and that's the way, like he loves that word, Cyclopean. He's like the Cyclopean, yeah. everything. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I gotta look that one up." The um, language is also very unique. Just the way he kind of crafts his own you know, type of culture, type right. of history and mythology to it. Um, you see it like nowadays you can find that like anywhere. It's like so homogenous how much a part of, I think, horror and just pop culture in general. I mean, I've even seen like anime uh, <laughs> that have uh, utilized a lot of Lovecraftian language. Yeah. And it's it's almost it's almost uh, trite to say, oh, there's Lovecraftian elements in this. But I think that's because there's a saturation of it today. I'm mm. um, like you're saying that it's just something that we see a lot of. Um, but I still think that uh, the the purity of or the dedication rather to the kind of language that Lovecraft used um, is really stark. I mean, it is purple. It's mm. like some of the purplest prose you can find. Like I was reading, I was like, man, this is flowery. <laughs> it's like beautifully yeah. flowery, you know? Um, like he's just like the oozing protein, semi-gelatinous, cyclopean monster stretched his icky. Yeah, it's like, okay, that's a lot of adjectives. <laughs> but but you, you love it for that reason. Uh, I, Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I love reading classics. I love classic literature. I don't read a whole ton of modern fiction because I find that um, the the short sentence uh, structure that's always pushed in modern fiction uh, to have sort of the rapid, quick-moving, fast-paced writing is mm -hmm. good, but it just doesn't always jive with me. Sometimes mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of want to sit and enjoy the, the, the language a little bit more than that. Um, and not just have these these short sentences all the time. So, and for that, definitely the place to go is classic literature. Classic mm. literature, if anything, takes its time. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> themes of Lovecraftian horror. This is from uh, Wikipedia page on Lovecraftian horror. So a couple of these we'll go through. We'll start with you, Ian. As I said, this uh, first one is anti anthropos anthropocentrism or misanthropy in general. Um, so not a lot of focus on the characterization of humans, uh, but fitting with a view of humanity's insignificance in the universe. Is that something in Shadow Hearts? I would say so. I think there's uh, a lot in Shadow Hearts that's really inspired by a lot of Lovecraftian themes. I mean, the... Uh, not to put too fine a point on it, the final boss is an otherworldly being from the depths of space. Oh, well, there and, you go. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I think a lot of it is uh, inspired by um, uh, things like the Lesser Key of Solomon. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce it. Is it Arskeletia? But uh, a lot of the you. demonistic factors come from uh, this kind of uh, area of the occult. And... Uh, not just that, that you're fighting these things, but your main character can 
fuse can transform into these things and mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. so well done you've i mean i can't even pronounce half of the uh demonistic names that yuri can transform into you know i, I would try with bail belial things like that um, oh yeah names Some that of those... kind of yeah they're very synonymous right, with a lot right. of horror rpgs but yuri becomes these things and that's part of what makes him a really powerful hero for me and yeah certainly the idea of um the occult keeps popping up from time and time in uh, shadow hearts yeah um some of those yeah some of the latin names final fantasy will do that a lot too they'll pull mm -hmm. on you know, here's like a latin name from like some apocryphal you know text uh, and i was yeah. like i not even going to try to pronounce that um belial is one i think that's in the new testament so i know that one um, all right uh, the next one here is a preoccupation with viscerate texture. <laughs> so <laughs> this is uh, this is the idea that um, horror elements in Lovecraft aren't necessarily uh, shock or gory horror, um, but more having to do with ooze and slime and mm -hmm. uh, you know, organs, or I guess. Cronenberg type horror. Yeah. Yeah, oh, a, body horror. Yeah, yeah. The fly, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I want to throw up every time I hear the word body horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. No, I'm just, that's okay. <laughs> well, we just did an episode on Parasite Eve, which is like oh, pure yeah. body horror. Yeah. So, I, you know what? We had to get through it. But seriously, I mean, I've had, uh, I've had a kidney removed in my lifetime. And, um, uh, so it's not like this is not like a dampener. It's not like super serious subject. But uh, all that to say, like organs and stuff like that really gross me out because I asked the doctor to take like a picture of my kidney after he took it out, and I threw up after looking at it. Oh, <laughs> so no. oh, every man. time I visit a doctor, um, I kind of have a little bit of white coat syndrome. But you know, I look at the walls and they've got the all the anatomy charts, and all I can think of is body horror. Um, every time I go to the doctor, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, it's for me, it's the horror that is most potent. Um, yeah. It just strikes really close to my heart, and uh, so when I watch a body horror movie like The Fly, um, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, love that movie. Oh, Stranger uh, Things season three's even got a lot of like shout outs and tributes to that. Uh, see, and that's what I've that. heard. I've never watched Stranger Things, and that's going to come off probably the wrong way to a lot of people who had respect for me up until that point. But, <laughs> but uh stranger things is a show that I definitely want to watch. Uh, it's worth but, it. Uh, yeah. No, that's what I heard. So while, mm. while I mentioned that uh, body horror is the, the strongest kind of horror for me, what is the strongest kind of horror for you guys, for, for you, Eros, what, what kind of horror Ooh. gets to you? Before uh, we go? That's kind of a hard question because it's really uh, – I like to write a lot of horror um, short stories for Taste for Killing magazine by Nicole Yelnick. And every year it's a different genre. You know, Sometimes we'll do like werewolves. Some old times we'll do witches, extraterrestrials. extraterrestrials. So there's so, always like this level of you know surrealism to it. If I were to say which one I can't really handle the most, it would probably be ones with like – I don't know, like, like dolls. I think dolls specifically kind of creep me out. I don't know what it. It's just. I mean, I like action figures, but yeah, just you know those old time dolls where they're yeah. just in the corner and their eyes are always open. The ceramic know. dolls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You remember that? Uh, you guys watched X Files, I'm sure. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the final repose of Clyde Bruckman, I think it was called a great episode, but he was a, a reluctant psychic, um, that Mulder and Scully try to, uh, have them, have him help solve, uh, these murders. And so he goes to, uh, this, this murder scene, um, and there's just a wall of dolls and he's like, what happened in this lady's life that she was like, I know dolls. That, yeah, there's so much creepiness with dolls. I'm definitely not a doll person. It's not as bad as body horror for me, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but uh, that's, so that's interesting. I wonder what the word is for that, like doll phobias. There's got to be a word for there's it. Gotta, yeah. I mean, the, there's yeah, horrorphobia for clowns. There's got to be one for dolls. Who but, knows? You know, I watch Child's Play and all that. I mean, that's it's it's cheeky enough where it can kind of like slide by me. It's it's really yeah. just that that weird kind of where it's like the old vintage dolls that are just got, you know, just the wide open eyes to that, that, that always just freaked me out. Yeah. I don't know why, but I'm reminded of, uh, Babadook right now. Did you see that? Oh yeah. That was a great one. Yeah. That one freaked the crap out of me. (laughs) That was pretty scary. Uh, it's not really a doll, but yeah, it just reminded me of like a mannequin type thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anyhow, uh, Ian, you're the, the uh, strongest type of horror for you. Well, I, I just looked up the uh, fear of dolls on Google. It's pediophobia. Pedio- oh, that sounds yeah. horrible. It really does. <laughs> that yeah. Cool. Let's not use that word. <laughs> yeah. Pedio- no, let's never use that ever <laughs> no, again. No. I'll, I'll stick with somniloquy, <laughs> yeah. if I'm honest. Okay. Um, somniloquy, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Strongest kind of horror. I, I think it's got to be the body horror stuff. I mean, mm. uh, mm. a, a lot of... Um, a lot of video games I get freaked out by are the first-person ones because, uh, I mean, let's face it, who wasn't freaked out by PT? Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, being put into that character in the moment and there's no um, disconnect like there is in, let's say, Resident Evil, Silent Hill. When you're that character and you're embodying that character and, you know, characters are leaping out at you and it is you that they're leaping out at. That's what gets me. Right. I uh, I tried to play Home Sweet Home on PS4 a couple of weeks ago. I managed eight minutes and had to nope out of that game because <laughs> I, I just could not manage it. I open a door, there's a brick wall. Like, nope, nope, that's me done. So but, the Home so. Sweet Home, some uh, the middle-aged horror mage uh, re- reviewed that for us. That's the one with the girl that climbs yes. through walls? Okay. I haven't yeah. played it, but I looked at pictures. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to play this. <laughs> Definitely too scary. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. I mean, yeah, if, the, uh... if you could be scared of walls, then you're done. You're <laughs> done. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it's um, it's the body horror stuff that gets me in uh, movies. And uh, even, like, say, bringing it back to Shadow Hearts, a lot of the enemies in this game are so creepy so distorted I, I seem to remember one boss about halfway through that had kind of dalsim arms oh and, yeah yeah, uh, yeah ev- i think was it woo guy every time he came up to you and just uh, reached across and oh no none of that spaghetti yeah, arms. don't touch me <laughs> <laughs> so to get back to the the themes thing eros the the uh the thing was uh viscerate texture slime over gore and shock so is that something that's uh, that's very shadow heartsy? 
Oh, absolutely. I think even in the first like opening cutscene, I really love the opening cutscene. Well, you know me in trains, you know, seven Figaro suplexing a ghost train is the greatest scene in video game history. But, oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the opening moments of the game, you're on a train and the main villain shows up and he like completely massacres this like military envoy with these like amorphous, almost kind of like little blob creatures. And they oh, just okay. like kind of just materialize and they massacre them. And then when the main character shows up, you know, he literally just loses his arm. <laughs> like it just oh, wow. falls off. And then he like, he like T 1000s himself back together, just like using his, uh, I'm trying to remember what the word is. It's like harmonic, harmonicizers. It, it's spelled with an X. It's like, harmonizer but with an x in the middle and then <laughs> I, I don't think i can get the word out right now sorry that's all good <laughs> that's and not an easy word tell you on the game nothing will yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it definitely sounds like yeah it's a, it's all about that viscerate texture um so next one here was antiquarian writing style uh sir you're some niloquy in <laughs> why yes back how, to the some niloquy <laughs> how be a writing style in uh, yawn game mm. Yeah, it's um, it's written in such a way that there is a lot that you need to keep a few notes handy because uh, the storyline itself is involved with some really creepy texts that the uh, party have to come into contact with. The Codex of Laurier, the Emigre manuscript, basically uh, just awful text that they have to find that can invoke demons or uh, resurrect the dead, basically things like that. But at the same time, the, the best thing for me about Shadow Hearts is that as, as an aside to all of this nastiness, it's also really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah. That seems like a particularly like Japanese type yeah, of food in a horror so, RPG. It's so strange to think that there's so many jokes in the script and you're just not expecting it half of the time. Mm-hmm. You're there in a castle, and all of a sudden you've got your main character quipping about this castle. That that doesn't seem in keeping with the mood <laughs> at first, but it's what makes it Shadow Hearts. Uh, can, can we take a moment to address our Lord and Savior, Roger Bacon, who is something <laughs> of, if you take like, uh, Sir Thomas, or sorry, uh, Thomas Beckett, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and you fusion dance him with Sir Dan Fortescue from Medieval, <laughs> you would get Roger Bacon, the man who cr- like made a house out of a UFO <laughs> while he's trying to rationalize the the misanthropy of the main antagonist. Uh, wow, it's, it, it is everything that sounds like and more. It wow. really is. What a quirky game. <laughs> Just see, that was something I wasn't expecting. When I looked at it, it, says, it seems fairly straight-faced. Uh, but it, yeah. It's really not. Yeah. It's really yeah. not. I actually made some notes as I was uh, replaying it recently. And under every single heading that I've put down for each section, I've just put so many innuendos. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, so it definitely, that's part of it, probably part of why it endeared itself to so many fans. Oh, yeah. Um, is it's funny on top of being uh, interesting in a lot of these other ways. So next one here for Eros, this is uh, helplessness and hopelessness. Uh, Yeah, a Lovecraftian theme that, you know, the idea that uh, forces uh, against them are too powerful 
to be stood against. What do you think of that? Is that something that's in Shadow Hearts? I would say unequivocally yes, because it's it has that sort of I would almost argue human element of just intolerance is kind of perpetuated throughout the game. Like the main character is suffering a terrible fate because he's somewhere between human and monster and he's trying to find his place. Um, I would also argue the point of just imperialism in general, because this is on the offset of like World War One. So there's a lot of sense of nationalism breeding like, you know, genocide and warmongering among nations, specifically with uh, I believe one of the settings is Shanghai and the other one goes back to London and Wales. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, similar to Lovecraft, he always uses like some kind of historical or geographical backdrop. Like sometimes it would be New Orleans. Sometimes it would be um, like the Antarctic. Sometimes it would right. be like a idyllic like European village. So you always have that certain semblance of isolation from like, you know, the mainstream society. And I feel like that's always kind of in the game specifically with, um, uh, Oh, TB, maybe you can back me up here. What's the kid's name? Uh, Plunkett, uh, Haley. It was Haley, Haley Plunkett. Yeah. He's definitely someone who goes into a whole monologue of how his mom was like systematically like abused and mistreated by society because of who like, them possessing like ESP abilities. So it's almost like you have that X-Men like quality of, Mm. you know, society has shunned us. What are we supposed to do? Which is given that we just talked about the game's comedy. It's Mm. interesting that it includes such a heavy theme as well. Mm. Um, That, that, that balance I imagine is probably pretty hard to achieve in storytelling. Um, But it sounds like it's something that, that shadow hearts is able to balance. Absolutely. There's definitely a lot of layers to it. Um, I think a lot of that is due to how well it's probably scripted. I think you, uh, Red, you mentioned before of how sometimes voiceovers isn't always needed to convey a good story, that sometimes you can do it mostly through text. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the good quality of the dialogue is translated through the text, not so much through through the voice acting. Yeah. Now, is there voice acting in this? Yeah, sir. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead, TV. Sorry, sorry. It's few and far between. It's there in uh, some of like, the essential cutscenes. Okay, so cutscenes. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's one um, cutscene right at the end that's kind of a where are they now? And uh, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't know how to pronounce half of the characters' names. I mean, ah. <laughs> I'd been pronouncing it Haley throughout the entire game until. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending cutscene told me it was Halley, but uh, aside from that, there is one scene, I think it's about, I would say, 25% of the way into the game, that is synonymous with Shadow Hearts for me. It's, uh, if you just look upon YouTube, The Sea Mother's Tale, and mm. it is basically where one, you've got one character who's narrating this whole escapade to the party and it's a horror story it's a really really spooky story but the way that the uh, voice actor presents all this is so melodramatic and Mm. so over Mm. the top that you Mm. can't help but laugh at what's going on i mean (laughs) she's talking about this creature coming out of the water and all she's talking about is the uh 
the onomatopoeia all the way through it. She's going, shloop, shloop, that. It also has this elements of, like, self-parody where, like, mm. uh, the, the main villain... Oh, uh, sorry if I cut you off there. No, right? no, go ahead, uh, go ahead. Um, it's the one scene from Shanghai, and the main villain is basically going on his whole like speech of like, "Oh, if you manage to survive, you can meet me for a cup of tea in London." Muhahaha! <laughs> and then like a pebble just hits him in the back of the head, and he just like yeah. falls down. And it's like it reminds me of like The Simpsons when like Mr. Burns would just try to like be so mm-hmm. overly evil, and then like something would just like knock him down or something. Like that. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that completely. I don't even think I wrote that in my notes. <laughs> Wow. Uh, speaking of balancing things, so this is a um, couple things I want to mention here is uh, this is something that I think is uh, typical for video game voice acting, especially in the early days of, you know, like we're having performances rather than just like synthetic voices and stuff like that. Because obviously that's been around since, you know, the golden age of arcades where you had machines being like, and you're like, I think they said press start, but oh, your uh, base are belong to us. Yeah. But <laughs> once we get to the 2000s, though, then we're starting to see, you know, games like Final Fantasy X, games like mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts that have full blown like casts with actual actors and things like that. But I still think in the early days of uh cast voice acting in video games you definitely did have a lot of melodrama a lot of um a lot of reading the lines as if they were in a toy commercial um because i think the actors were probably still thinking in terms of this for kids um you know it's a video game it's a toy so on and so forth so you had a lot of actors kind of doing hokey line reads you can see that in final fantasy 10 now and then pops up um where it's like, okay, you're not taking this seriously. I'm 35, and I'm playing this <laughs> like an adult. <laughs> like, you need to read your lines better. So um, so I think that that probably explains some of this in Shadow Hearts, um, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Um, and then even today, sometimes we'll have, we'll have voice acting where it's like, man, that just, that sucks. You yeah. know, like your performance <laughs> just flat out sucks. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like your line reads are awful. You sound like, you sound like you're, yeah like a talent show at like a high school or something like that. Yeah. Um, it yeah. also kind of feels that uh, in some places it's like they didn't even realize that it was going to be voice acted because mm-hmm. you can change all your party characters names, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then you got a cut scene where someone's shouting, Oh my God, Yuri. Hang on. <laughs> no, I didn't name him Yuri. I named him big head. Yeah, that's it. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Well, yeah, because typically so like that was something they did in Final Fantasy 10. You could not change character names mm. except for the main character and they would just never pronounce his name. Yeah. So that was yeah. one way they, they went around it. Um, oh, Octopath Traveler. That was a, a new game that I was trying to think of where, in my mm. opinion, the English voice actors gave mostly terrible performances. Mm. Just like <laughs> just stereotypes. Just like I like. No, no variation in mm-hmm. any kind of display of emotion. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so you're gonna read all your lines like you're like a snooty, pretentious, like, <laughs> like scholar, just like <laughs> in <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, okay, like there wasn't a director that was like, maybe you need to tone it down just a little bit. 
Okay. The thing is, but, I loved Octopath for that, so. <laughs> yeah, well, and now here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I get in trouble for this. This is why I got to spread it. I got to reiterate constantly. Is anybody is free to enjoy anything. And sometimes we enjoy oh, things yeah. because they're rubbish. Or sometimes we enjoy them because they're silly. Like we're talking about Shadow Hearts voice acting, right? Sometimes you enjoy it because it's that. But yeah. from a performance standpoint you couldn't necessarily say that the voice acting in the voice acting performances in shadow hearts are like like oscar worthy right they're not gonna win any awards of course yeah we love it but that doesn't but that doesn't mean that they can't be enjoyed so Mm -hmm. there's there's that whole that whole thing like you could still love it you could still love octopath traveler you Mm -hmm. still love those voice acting but i think if we look at like the craft of acting we could say that like these aren't the best performances uh and it's okay to then to crave better performances and there are some really good voice acting performances mm-hmm. uh to my mind the best acted game i've ever played was the last of us um right which just, yeah, yeah i didn't even enjoy the game overall mm-hmm. but man the execution of the acting the performances the craft the line delivery the characterization um, the nuance of line delivery is just so great in that game. And I think that's a strong argument for how uh, video games can achieve some some really objectively good uh, performances. Um, and they don't all have to all sound like, you know, toy commercials. I think so, um, anyway. for recently, uh, Plague Tale Innocence on PlayStation 4. Fantastic mm, performances yeah. all the way through that. I haven't played that one. I haven't played that one. What really what's a, what's another like recent voice acting one? Oh, Mass Effect. Probably okay, Mass one. Effect, mm-hmm. which yeah. I've not played any Mass Effect, but yeah, I've always heard that it has great ones. I just thought of, and this is around the same era as Shadow Hearts, Crazy Taxi. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. He wants to make some crazy money. Here we go, Taxi. <laughs> yeah. Now that is perfectly appropriate for this game. It's obviously, uh, I don't know if you call it voice acting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like it was giving like a performance of a character. It's just like a narration. I but it just found possibly... a guy outside and got him to say it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you, you could do a voice. Yeah, come in yeah. here. Oh, yeah. What about uh, the most infamous scene uh, from Castlevania Symphony of the Night? It's like, what is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. But enough oh. talk. How about you? The perfect yes. example right there. Perfect example. Because that game... That line delivery is so memific, it's so enjoyable, it's so endearing, and yet it's atrocious. And so it's okay to say, objectively, this is not a good performance, though. What is a man is not a good performance. <laughs> but it can still be fun, and it can still be enjoyable. Absolutely. So you have, you have sort of the, the two different things. I think in some ways that those two contexts are even separate. Mm-hmm. You know, because because we each have our own tastes that don't even necessarily rely on um, just the craft element. I don't know that anybody 100 percent only appreciates something if it's like, you know, the most skilled version of whatever it is. Um, I think people just enjoy things for a variety of reasons. But, um, yeah, that's a that's a great example. Right there. I think Cast the problem with Shadow Hearts is that it's very unbalanced as far as voice acting goes. Like when they really do good, genuine moments, like towards the end, the the closing narration is like really well done. It's very beautiful and very emotional. 
but through some of the scenes, uh, and uh, TB, you can uh, probably interject here, the opening character dialogues that, you know, they do the montage things, and there's no music at all when they do the narrations for the early ones, and it just kind of feels very stiff, very just almost robotic to the point where it, it wasn't really all that interesting for me. I don't know if uh, I'd like to hear your opinions on that. Not something I'd really thought about, but uh, I can see where you're coming from on that. I think uh, in terms of the characters, they've all got a really good arc. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, you've got your main character, Yuri, who uh, is yeah. introduced uh, as rude hero on the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much like Cloud was ex-soldier, he is rude hero. <laughs> and that's pretty much all of his character at the start. Right. And uh, by the end, you'll love him. Uh, mm-hmm. Not because he's a rude hero, but because he used to be a rude hero, and now he is a less rude hero. But, uh, <laughs> I like how you phrase that. Yeah, I, I think that's about right, yeah. All right, so, um, well, another thing I wanted to bring up that we're talking about, so that was, a, that was a great discussion on voice acting right there. Great examples you guys brought up. Another thing um, is dialogue. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, we mentioned dialogue a bit in this game already. Um, it has some flowery elements. It has some uh, some dialogue that I believe you guys said you appreciated. Um, now, dialogue is another thing that I think you can you can indicate that there's good and bad dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. We've played. Uh, I think we're probably all the same age. I think we've played a lot of games with poor translations um, that affect dialogue. I really like Breath of Fire 2, but man, it has a terrible <laughs> translation. Like an awful translation. Um, and so some of like those older 16-bit and older uh, RPG, JRPGs especially have some, have some bad dialogue. Um, for me, when I think of bad dialogue, I just wrote an amateur book, you guys. Like, I know what bad dialogue is, <laughs> okay? So, no, you don't. No, stop, you, you flatterer. Um, but, uh, when I, when I read a book and I'm like, man, that's some swell dialogue. And then I write a piece of dialogue and I was like, man, that sucks. Or like, I'll read, I'll read a, di- a piece of dialogue in something. Uh, it'll be a video game or a book and I'll be just like, that's awful. It doesn't sound natural. But it, one of the things that interests me about dialogue is I think that we as consumers and readers, uh, and gamers can sense when something is bad or something is good in terms of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is a separate consideration from whether we like it or not. But just in terms of of whether it's it's skilled or unskilled in its writing and its craft. Um, but it's kind of hard to say why. Mm. What makes dialogue bad and what makes dialogue good? Um, I mentioned mm. natural just now. I think that more natural sounding dialogue is good rather than uh, robotic eros, I think is something you mentioned a little while ago. Um, that word right. kind of stands out to my mind as sort of the opposite of natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when we talk as I've just been monologuing here for, you know, a minute is uh, we interrupt ourselves. We have us and ums. Uh, we constantly try to filter in different words and choose our words. And there's a pace to our, our dialogue. There's a rhythm to our dialogue. And so I think that, you know, we've been hearing dialogue from other humans all our lives. And then when we read dialogue that reads completely robotically, it's, it's something that drives against us because we know what 
natural dialogue sounds like. But what do you guys think about that whole thing? Hmm. TB, you want to start? (laughs) Sure. Um, I think uh, when you've got some really memorable dialogue, it's because every single word is crafted for a specific reason. Mm. I mean, you can draft and redraft and redraft in a story or any kind of uh, script. And when you've got something like Shadow Hearts that definitely does sink a little bit under the problem of translation, I think that can take away sometimes from the intended meanings. I mean, I'm sure there are jokes in Shadow Hearts that just don't land because mm. it's a very literal translation. Right. But uh, it's, it's there as a piece of literally translated dialogue on the screen. And you think, what were they talking about again? <laughs> and you realize that probably in its native tongue, that was really, really funny. Yeah. But, uh, there's probably no such thing as perfect translation. Right. Uh, given, given the differences in language. Um, mm. some, of the, some of the translations that I've dealt with in the past have been Hebrew-Greek. Um, so I know in, in those realms for ancient text, there's definitely, uh, the benefit is learning the original language. Um, if you want to really appreciate, uh, JRPGs, I can imagine that learning the original language is probably the best thing you could do. And the game that really comes to my mind is secret of mana. Um, Oh yeah. Secret of mana I played recently and I was like, who is this character? Like a side <laughs> character will just like pop in and then disappear for like the entire game. And so I, I would research it and I found out that the translator, because English takes up more space than Japanese, had to literally just chop out like, was it a quarter or a third of the game's plot? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's, that's definitely going to hurt the game overall. Object right, right. from from a standpoint of the craft of storytelling, um, yeah. Secret of Mana is still a very enjoyable game, but I think it suffers mm-hmm. in that area specifically because that would be like if you took any of your favorite books um, and chopped out, you know, four, five, six, ten chapters, given how long it is. I just read Slaughterhouse Five recently for the first time, really mm-hmm. enjoyed it, but I was like, man, if you took out a third of this book. <clears throat> it's not going to be the same book. It's not going to have the same impact. It's not going to have the same intention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely what you're saying there, Ian, is I think important. And you talk about the original intent. Sometimes that just cannot be translated properly. Um, it's great when you've got a literal translation because then it's like, well, at least you can kind of look up, like, what does that mean? What if they use like an idiom that doesn't make sense? At least yeah. you can kind of look that up rather than a paraphrase that just kind of glosses over all that. I think that's right, and I think a lot of uh, JRPGs actually making it over to these shows in the first place is a miracle in itself in a lot of cases. I mean, we've talked yeah. about which games Absolutely. Yeah. never actually came outside of Japan, and we've missed out on so many great RPGs. But Terra Enigma. The fact that we've... Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've... Uh, well, I've said my piece on Terra Enigma before. I yeah, yeah. don't know it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, uh, the issue that we've actually got these games in the first place, literal translation or no, we can play them, we can understand them, it serves mm. its purpose. But And I'm grateful for that. But as a piece of art, is it kind of tainted in a little way by the translation? I'm not sure. I think that's a bigger question than I. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a huge question for sure. <laughs> um, and I think that probably varies 
from case to case. You probably can't say that every game suffers by a translation. Well, certainly not every JRPG lost uh, mm. as significant a portion of its story as Secret of Mana did when upon translation. Yeah. Um, sometimes there were more efficient translations or there was more space available or the story, you know, uh, wasn't so long. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but or there's the talent of the translator as well. The time allotted to them. That was one thing in the 90s with JRPGs. Oh, yeah. And they're like, hey, we want to send this over to America. And the translator's like, hey, I'll do it. I'll do it. And they're like, hey, you have a day. That's why I, I really like <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the working designs games, because that was probably one of the best uh, U.S. translation companies in the video game business. Actually, all the way into like the early 2000s, the Lunar games like Silver Star Story, Eternal Blue, like even some of the ones I just reviewed, like Alundra, like they would take the original dialogue from Japan and like rewrap it and retranslate it into American jokes. Like in, I think it was Silver Star Story Complete for the PS1, the uh, the dragon character Null says, like, I know I shouldn't give look a gift horse in the mouth, but what kind of cheesy poof is that? Like that was something working designs just came with for the North American release. So it's like, yeah, I kind of, I can only imagine what that originally was supposed to be. What kind of cheesy poof is that? (laughs) Exactly what it was. I'm going to use that. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking, I was like, I got to start using that. You're like five bucks for a coffee. What kind of cheesy poof is that? Starbucks challenge for the next week. Get it into conversation. Exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. That reminds me of the Spoonie Bard bit oh, from uh, yes. Final Fantasy IV. Perfect example of like, why, why? <laughs> Spoonie Bard? Where did you come up with that? But again, it's one of those things that you can really enjoy. <laughs> and that's one that doesn't affect the meaning, right? It doesn't affect, like, there's still a sense of like, hey, you get that this character doesn't like this character. Mm-hmm. That, that The intent of that scene is still there. It's mm-hmm. preserved. It's not like it was something added or 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 cut but anyhow um yeah i think um i think ian like you said that's a huge question um probably we could discuss like who translations to the break of day but um yeah right. we should probably move on that yeah good 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 discussion though um, one thing that we want to touch on here is uh the horror rpg Mm-hmm. as a subgenre so like i mentioned we just did a, a, an episode with uh the great award-winning 16-bit dad on parasite eve which i had a lot of fun learning about that game from him uh in that episode um and then we're talking about shadow hearts today obviously um i don't play a whole ton of horror games or horror rpgs mm-hmm. so what are some other ones um that we could talk about to serve some context just just real briefly just Kind of a mention of these games. Well, definitely, I would say Kodelka, specifically for this game in particular, because Kodelka really felt more like a horror RPG than Shadow Hearts because it took place in a singular location. It was like, you know, the whole tried and true haunted mansion, haunted castle kind of uh, setting. Uh, it was called the Nemetin Monastery. And in there, like the monsters would you would have random encounters but like it would be while you're just trying to do anything and like the monsters would just come out of nowhere and you would have to like use like 
almost like a tactical RPG approach to it. You had to go near them, you had to attack them, you had to retreat and all that. But it felt like you're almost playing like a horror movie. Like, even when I saw the covers in, like, EGM Monthly, like, the covers for the game look something like, you know, The Haunting of Hill House or something like mm-hmm. that. And I really like that level of, you know, conveying the theme to the player before you even play it. Um, but that, yeah, I would definitely say Kodelka fits under that umbrella. Okay. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... If I remember, it's been a while since I played Code Elka, but it did play a lot more like a Resident Evil kind of game. Yeah, wandering yeah. around the halls of the mansion looking mm-hmm. for a key that fits a certain door. <laughs> but every now and then, you've got the um, random battles that come in. Plus, especially with uh, Shadow Hearts links, the Nemeton Monastery is in Shadow Hearts later on as oh, a yeah. as a late game dungeon. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, when it get when you get told you're going to Wales. And it's fun of Code Elk, you're thinking, oh, yes, finally back to Wales. And then mm. we find Roger Bacon's UFO house there. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've got uh, Kodelka, Kodelka, I don't know how to say it. Um, dang it, 16-bit dad taught me, and I forgot. I'm sorry, dad. Um, so we've got that. What about what about some other horror RPGs? Because uh, those are kind of related, right, as we, as we discussed. Um, I don't know. Would you say Vagrant Story almost has that kind of quality mm. to it? Because now we're going so. into the action RPG yeah. Uh, subgenre. Yeah. But um, I just feel like it's you know the same kind of criteria. You have like a singular location. It's very isolated from civilization. You know, you have all these creepy like monsters coming out of the yeah. shadows to attack it's, you. And Vagrant Story is very atmospheric too. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates a lot of uh, spookiness through that sense of isolation. Um, uh, Parasite Eve, for sure, um, was uh, was a horror RPG. Again, more on the action RPG side of things. Um, Persona series to an extent. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I haven't played any Persona games. I <laughs> surprisingly, I've not played a lot of games. I guess <laughs> this whole podcast, I'm like, I haven't played that. And played that, and played that. Um, but uh, any modern horror RPGs that you guys have played recently? I dabbled in Dark Souls a bit, but I, it was one of those games where if you're you're gonna be made to suck at it as a gamer, and <laughs> you're gonna die over and over and over again. But it's to me that's no. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just kind of rage quit it after a while. But no, I, I think that. That is like the modern pop culture gaming uh, name brand. You would probably go with horror RPGs nowadays. Mm. Okay. Ian? Yeah, I would would certainly say along the same lines, Bloodborne, which is personally one of my favorite PlayStation 4 games. Uh, It's got the atmosphere, it's got the monsters, and it's got that Dark Souls thing of you will be terrible at this game to begin with until you get to grips with it. So, yeah, probably Bloodborne would be a modern version of the horror rpg but i think the reason we keep coming back to shadow hearts is because there's been nothing like it in two mm. console generations Absolutely. so yeah okay now i was just gonna say i guess i haven't played too many horror rpgs um i did play porky pig's haunted holiday on the super nintendo though mm. yes do you remember that <laughs> i do Fantastic. okay when was the last time you played it Oh, I rented it way back in the 90s. Okay. So uh, that was the last I time I played it. Too. 
<laughs> uh, I have the cartridge, but I hadn't touched it in like 20 years. Oh. And I played it, and I was like, this game sucks. <laughs> it's really it's one of those games that as a kid you're like yeah porky pig and spooky monsters and then you play as an adult you're like holy smokes well seeing <laughs> as how uh keanu reeves is in the news right now do you remember when they did that bram stoker's dracula video game where it was you played as the jonathan harker character portrayed by keanu reeves and <laughs> Uh, there's like two different versions of it. There was the one that used like the full motion like video where like it was so choppy because it was like very like proto prototype technology. But then they did like a, like a Sega or a Super Nintendo version, which run a, ro- a lot smoother, but it was, you know, game sprites to that effect. And I always thought that was just very interesting because like the the regular console, like pixelated one was more was a better game than the actual realistic one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I, I don't remember that one. I remember the movie, but I don't remember that game. A game that I might have been thinking of um, that's not an RPG, so I beg your pardon for all that time wasted, but uh, it was Oxen Free. Did you guys play that? Mm, can't say I have, no. I got about halfway through and I put it down for some reason. I can't remember why because I was really enjoying it. Yeah, it was a fairly good story um, about a bunch of kids that get stuck in a time loop. Yeah. Mm. Um, And there was a lot of like supernatural horror elements to it. Um, Yeah. Quite good. Yeah. As an adventure game, though, more so than Mm. than, Mm. definitely for sure. So check that out. But anyhow, let's uh, let's talk um, the premise of. Shadow Hearts. So we've talked a lot kind of broadly and, and specifically here and there about Shadow Hearts. But what we don't want to talk the whole story just in case I want to play it. <laughs> but which you do. Uh, which I do. Uh, but what is the premise of of Shadow Hearts? And maybe you guys can kind of tag team that. Should we uh, give a little um forewarning of spoilers here? Or how how, yes. how far so should we every go? every single um, thank you. Every single mage cast is a spoilers podcast. So, um, cause we want to get as deep as possible. So definitely ladies and gents, there are spoilers, spoilers. in this podcast, uh, that are coming. So if you want to play shadow hearts for yourself, man, go play it. What are you doing? Wasting your time listening to this podcast and then come back and waste your time listening to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, why don't you, why don't you give it a start TB? Okay, the story opens on a train somewhere in Asia that I can't remember exactly where. And you have uh, a young girl by the name of Alice, and she has been abducted by a gentleman who claims to be the sorcerer Roger Bacon. Spoiler number one, it's not. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Eros, want to take over? Uh, Yeah, from there... Uh, yeah, the opening train scene is that the main protagonist, Yuri, he uh, rescues yeah, Alice rescues from Alice. the quote-unquote Roger Bacon. <laughs> and from there, it's them trying to kind of uh, bring her to safety, trying to get her out of the loop. Because there's like a lot of conspiracies going on, like the Japanese army is involved. And there's also like um, malcontents from shanghai trying to resurrect a god to kind of give them power in the coming war that's such and, a 90s yeah. RPG thing <laughs> it totally is yeah you're like let me guess you're gonna become a god or something like to that extent and destroy the world i would almost say that kingdom hearts almost 
like ripped off a lot of things that were in Shadow Hearts because the whole mm. like Roger Bacon is like, oh no, that was my teacher's name, but I really hate him, so I'll, I think I'll take his <laughs> name. And it's like, Ansem, you are like, you are just a carbon copy of this guy. Ah, so that's interesting. Okay, now hang on, because Shadow Hearts came out in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts one came out. I want to say in two thousand oh two thousand two. So. Uh, mm, game theory, but that's only a year. <laughs> like, you imagine if yeah. like it comes out like twenty years from now, they're like, "Yeah, we totally ripped Kingdom Hearts off yeah. of Shadow Hearts." Uh-oh, oh, and the name out. Hearts in the same name too. Oh, oh, that's, oh yeah. yeah. Theory, theory has been resolved. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Um. Yeah, I mean, like the plot is that's that's pretty much it. Like, uh, the main bad guys just trying to resurrect like this lavos like extraterrestrial demon god out of the ocean and that's where your lovecraft thing kind of comes into place because as much as lovecraft described cthulhu as dwelling within the deeps of the dead house of ryleth that's exactly where the final the final stage is he just literally brings up this like city from underneath the ocean and you have to go on to it to stop him and then it just blows up <laughs> as yeah. soon as you beat it. So, so then the main characters, mm-hmm. um, and this will kind of bridge more into narrative here. Uh, the main characters, Yuri and Alice, are trying to uh, prevent this cataclysmic summoning. Mm-hmm. What what do they want? These characters. Uh, I was yeah. It's tr- it's hard to really kind of navigate it a bit because there's a lot of it gets further explained in the later installments of the game, but mm. Yuri was told by voices in his head to arrive at this train at that specific time, specifically to rescue Alice. And Alice is, I believe, her father was like an exorcist who sort of assisted like the Japanese army for like supernatural cases. So it gets a little wacky with the, you know, the details because it's trying to fit into history. But I think, like, it would be fair to say that Alice is just trying to kind of just live her life. And Yuri's just trying to find his place in the world, essentially. Because, you know, he's got all these weird abilities and he doesn't really know what to do with it. So it's really about finding purpose, I guess, if you're going to say any uh, semblance of motivation on his part. Okay. That's good. And that kind of fleshes these characters out. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Sorry, my bad. Uh, They're both kind of haunted by... um their parents as well mm-hmm. in a way because you've got Alice's father who was murdered by the man who claims to be Roger Bacon and mm-hmm. uh, of course that comes out later and for her it's a question of revenge or not whereas Yuri his father literally haunts him throughout the entire game mm-hmm. uh, if you were uh, if you don't go into the menu and go to a certain graveyard in his mind literal graveyard in his mind and qual the malice then a gentleman will appear and force you into a battle that you're not going to win and uh, he kind of sees that as the image of his father and uh, this is what absolutely terrifies him throughout most of the game okay so there's a lot of psychological uh, Mm -hmm. elements at play here then so borderline um, Oedipus complex. A bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, okay. So that's really interesting to me. I, I kind of want to draw the line there 
That was mm-hmm. actually really, really good, enticing premise talk. Because mm. um, now I want to play this game. Mm. Um, out of everything that we've said, out of, you know, the dialogue silly. I'm like, I could live without silly dialogue. Uh, it's melodramatic. I could live without melodrama. Uh, it's Lovecraft. I've read Lovecraft. But when you when you phrase it this way that, okay, the, these are sort of psychological things that they're exploring through what might be supernatural symbolism or some sort of thing like that. Um, that's interesting to me. So, and it's got yeah. a UFO house. Man, who doesn't want a UFO house? That's one my, more yeah. convert. Our work here is done. Yeah, there you go. And that's how the fandom of this cult classic is spread. Mm. So, um, favorite characters though for you mm. two? Well, I think I already explained how cool Roger, uh, the the actual Roger Bacon is in mm. this game. I think we should, uh, yeah, make that distinction clear. He's sort of like. Think like a very amicable uh, crypt keeper. <laughs> That's kind okay. of like the best way I can kind of <laughs> yeah. sum him up in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> the crypt keeper is pretty amicable already. Yeah, like, <laughs> even more, <so>. even <laughs> yeah. more friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, besides Roger Bacon, I would probably Yuri is pretty cool. I mean, I've I like his design. It's very simplistic, but it's very enticing because it fits the piece because i i love like castlevania games so i really like the more uh just like simplistic character designs uh, beyond that though i would say Vin- you know i i think his name was vincent the sort of like flamboyant vampire guy with like the blonde hair who's <laughs> literally from a castle in transylvania <laughs> <laughs> this game keith. has everything his name was keith Oh, it's Keith. Sorry, yeah, uh, Val- Keith. Valentine. Valentine. Keith Valentine. I had to think right. for a moment. It was Keith. Yeah. yeah. Uh, watch out for Keith. Oh, that that was why. Because I was thinking Vincent Valentine, but his name is Keith Valentine. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Ian, favorite character. <laughs> uh, aside from Yuri and Alice, who I had in my party through most of the game, uh, Margaret Gertrude mm. Zell, one yeah. of the brilliant characters in this series and responsible for the casual discourse on somniloquy line of course but uh, (laughs) she is actually loosely based on the real life uh, figure of the Matahari the uh, spy so uh, she does embody the idea of a spy maybe not in the same way that Matahari actually did in real life but she comes across as kind of a smooth talking casual um spy but she does have a brilliant move set as well where she can just flip open a mobile phone and call him back up an airstrike an rpg whatever you want uh-huh. and uh, to me that just embodies shadow hearts you've got a real life figure kind of based on a real life figure and then super fictionalize it so yeah <laughs> anachronistic cell phones in like 1912 <laughs> of course she's a spy she's got yeah. one already yeah that's yeah. hilarious <laughs> that's great uh so another thing we wanted to touch on was the music uh this game was uh composed by yoshitaka hirota masaharu iwata and to my great delight i discovered today yasunori mitsuda like what the guy who composed Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, some of my favorite soundtracks ever. So uh, Yasunori Mitsuda, to my mind, has a really um, sort of uh, elegant, dreamlike quality to his music a lot of the times. Very kind of sweet music. Mm. Um, 
but listening to Shadow Hearts, and again, you've got, you've got three composers here. Um, there's a not a clash, but a harmony of of ideas and and themes and different textures of music in this soundtrack. Um, listening to it, I was like, okay, this is like you know, like the first track that came up, uh, "Song of Spirits" or "Lost Spirits," something like that. Um, I was like, this sounds like a typical like JRPG intro from this era. Uh, and then it gets into something orchestral and brooding. And I was like, okay, this is like, this is neat. I love listening to orchestral music. And then it kind of picks up and it gets a little more actiony. Some rock elements mm-hmm. kind of come in and it weaves in and out through these various, uh, these various musical motifs. And I was like, this is really like, it's a great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that enticed me to definitely play it for myself was a soundtrack. So comments on the soundtrack from you folks. I'm terrible with video game soundtracks because I don't tend to remember them as clearly as I remember something like dialogue. I don't know why that is, but uh, the one thing I do know is that the company that made this was originally made up of ex-Square employees, so that probably explains a lot of where the uh, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross influence comes in. Oh, man. the one thing I do remember quite clearly from my first playthrough, my recent playthrough, was the final boss music. It just mm. blew me away, absolutely. And uh, I don't know what it was about it. It just set the tone. It was just epic enough that you knew that this battle was, you know, the end of humanity or the saving of humanity. So, yeah, final boss music, can't touch it. Wow. Wow, wow. Well, it definitely makes me want to listen uh, again through this soundtrack and try and pinpoint which track is the final boss. Uh, Eros, uh, comments on the music? I just, I'm in love with how it blends so many different genres of music. You know, you got steampunk, you've got like the classical symphony, you have the rock music. And curiously enough, you mentioned like the Chrono Trigger in Final Fantasy VI, uh, Yoshitaka Hirota, who did the soundtrack, did like sound engineering for Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI mm. and Secret of Mana Three, And he was also, apparently he was a member of Nobu Uematsu's band. And I, it's oh, called Black like, Mages? Uh, well, not Black Mages. It was actually called Earthbound Papas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, apparently he was a member of, of that band. And I'm just like, wow, it's like, you're talking about the best of the best of like squares, like musical uh, staff. And it's no, it's no imagining why I just love the soundtrack to this game. Yeah. I, it definitely sounded like a square in their prime uh, soundtrack, which was really cool because I mean, I think that, you know, I always talk about it. So people know, but I think that the nineties were such a great, unique era. So Absolutely. much was happening. You had the end of the 2d era, the beginning of the 3d era. You had late NES at the beginning and then early PS2 at the end. You had so much in one decade, the console wars, multiple console wars, so many generations of consoles, so many different mascots. Uh, it was just an amazing time for games. And at the peak of that, to my mind, was definitely the quality of games that Square put out uh, were just incredible. Um, there, you know, they created some real amazing gems in the '90s, uh, and evidently, this is one of uh, one of the sort of spinoffs of the '90s. You know, it's early 2000s, but it definitely had a soundtrack that evoked 
the 90s to my mind. Mm, absolutely. I like that. Let's call it a kind of spin off of the 90s. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Oh, hey, for me, the 90s welcome. never ended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we're, like, we're still living in the 90s. Uh, you know, there's things in the 90s that I'm glad we got rid of, like dial up. <laughs> uh uh, blockbuster i'm sorry you know there's a lot of people who are like blockbuster i was like flat out blockbuster was not convenient it just wasn't like now i can turn on my tv and stream and that's way more convenient than having to go to a store uh and having to maintain a membership yeah and all that (laughs) stuff uh denim everything Mm-hmm. That can just that can just vanish to like the bottom of the sea. Well, you're talking to someone who cosplays the main character from Secret of Evermore, so I still got to keep that denim lying around to yeah, keep it very but just yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're rocking a denim vest, yeah. we've like the yeah. No, Ugh. Uh, I don't even like wearing denim. It's just uncomfortable. Anyways, that yeah. We could definitely get into. I didn't even particularly like like most of the music in the '90s. I was always like an oh, 80s I guy. Did. Oh, you were a 90s music guy? Oh, absolutely. See, that's why you can't remember music so much is because you were a 90s music guy. You know what? It, it's really <laughs> strange because back in the days of, let's say, Secret of Mana, Secret of Evermore, um, even up to Final Fantasy 7 VII and 8, my parents would get so sick of the same little tunes playing over and over again that I would end up just muting the game and listening to, you know, a CD. So, yeah. so as not you know, to annoy them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hilarious story. And I have to qual- cl- clarify, excuse me. I have to clarify. I meant I don't like the music, like the mainstream music of the 90s. Mm. Um, video game music of the 90s, I adore. I love that stuff. But um, yeah, like the yeah, screamos and and yeah. Just that, give me like the soundtrack to Symphony oh, no. of the Night and that that's me. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And just give me Ace of Base any day, and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, um, moving on, moving on here. Let's talk about some mechanics before we take some audience questions. Um, what are some differences mechanically in Shadow Hearts from other RPGs? Now you're talking. Now you're, you're talking. talking. <laughs> yeah, we've got the Judgment Ring system, which is used all the way through the game, from the battles to bartering in shops absolutely used everywhere okay explain it to me like i'm like i'm three (laughs) all right so take for instance your average turn-based battle you click attack and you'd expect your character to just run over and attack no 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 Mm -hmm. a little clock face appears in the corner of the screen (laughs) with a kind of second hand rolling around and little cheese wedges cut into this clock face and if you don't click the x button within that cheese wedge your attack misses and uh, it adds a little bit more strategy to the battles that you have got to make these hits. And within each of those cheese wedges, there's a tiny little wedge at the end. That's your critical hit. And you miss one of those wedges, none of your attacks will hit. Well, that reminds me of uh, Undertale. Do you guys mm. play that? Yeah, a little bit Undertale, a little bit Legend of Dragoon kind of thing with the yeah. timing-based thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely that kind of thing, but I think the Judgment Ring being used not just for the battle systems, but for you walk into a shop and it says, oh, do you want to try for a 10% discount? Yeah, I'll try for a 10% <laughs> discount. Oh, I missed the wedge. I pay full price. 
I wish real life <laughs> stores would do out. that. Yeah, real life, <laughs> yeah. like anywhere. You just oh, walk so in. If I, if I get this critical hit, I can get a buy one get one, right? Or ninety <laughs> percent off. Ninety, you get like a PlayStation Four, ninety percent off. <laughs> like Nintendo dang it. switches, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. I think I must point out though, having recently played replayed, sorry, Shadow Hearts on a uh, backwards compatible PlayStation Three. Uh, that's the only problem I've found with it. There's a mini game called The Lottery where you have to do one of these things to win a prize. Every time I tried to play The Lottery on my backwards compact PS3, it crashed the game and I had to hard reset it. So unfortunately, that's the one problem I found playing it on a PS3. But other than that, perfectly playable. The only problem with that is uh, you need one specific item. The booby prize from The Lottery is a tissue. And you need this tissue to get one of your later summons in the game. So I have to look for alternative ways of finding a tissue. Wow. uh, It is possible. It is a rare drop from one of the late game enemies. But that's just something I thought I'd better point out to people wanting to play it. Another aspect. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's great because now I know I want to get the PlayStation 2 version. Uh, I still got my PlayStation 2, so... Yeah, that's great. Eros, go ahead. What were you going to say? One other aspect that's unique to RPGs is the uh, sanity points that you need to kind of keep up. It's sort of like a different Mm -hmm. stat from your HP and MP bar, where like sanity represents the character's stability. And like the more monsters they fight, obviously, the sanity points are going to go down. You know, you almost think of it like a horror aspect of like the more exposure to monsters and all this like horror going on. It's going to take like a psychological toll on your character. Mm -hmm. So you have to keep up their sanity meter. And although I haven't really seen that a lot in other RPGs, RPGs at the time. I don't know if you guys ever played. Uh, there was a game for the Nintendo GameCube called Eternal Darkness: Sanity's Requiem. Yes. Also used a form of sanity as a sort of like separate meter, and I couldn't help but find there was like a similarity between that. And I just, it's kind of a lost art. You don't see any games really using that anymore, either like RPGs or horror survival games. Mm. Is that sort of the equivalent of like a survival, like a stamina bar kind of a thing? Kind of. It's like, how do you uh, refill it? I think, uh, TB, did you have like items that you could actually use? You had to kind of replenish it. I know that that you had to get that back uh, up. Yeah, it automatically refilled after every battle. Uh, uh, If it ran out during a battle, your character entered Berserk State and you had no control over that character. But you could use um, items, I think they were pure seeds, Mm -hmm. that uh, would replenish SP or sanity points during a battle. Particularly handy if you are playing you know, summoning characters as Yuri because that drains the stamina really, really quickly. Okay, so... Uh, that's really interesting. So essentially what you're looking at then is a timer, um, for each battle, uh, suppose so. Yeah. Before you lose control of your characters, because you said it replenishes Mm. between battles. Um, yeah. Does as characters, uh, improve or level up or whatever happens in this game, do, do their sanity bars increase? Yep. 
It's oh, okay. one of the stats okay. that does increase upon level up, and leveling up is just a matter of um, experience points, okay. and then that they uh, the stats go up automatically. There's no uh, sphere grid or anything like that that you need to concern yourself with. It really has you uh, considering the uh, sanity points, and like I said earlier, I mentioned the accumulation of malice, which is just something that goes up all the time as you uh, as you fight monsters. Um, Every now and then, uh, the screen might glow a kind of greenish or orange or red tint, and that's kind of your hint. You need to go to the graveyard. You need to fight I a love battle in the graveyard to calm the malice. Otherwise, you're going to get haunted by uh, the ghost of your father. <laughs> so that's interesting. A lot of a lot of real interesting mechanics here. Mm. Things that it sounds like kind of bring some dynamism to. A particularly static uh, genre of games, the RPG. Mm. Um, but so having that timer, having the uh, the judgment ring, um, that's interesting. And it's definitely again. I mean, I'm really walking out of this podcast saying I I need to play this game. That's that's a lot of cool, innovative stuff. Good. Real neat. Um, anything else you guys want to mention on mechanics before we turn to audience questions? I'm trying to think if it did anything yes. uh, particularly interesting. Aside from that, it was uh, your pre-rendered static backgrounds, but uh, nothing, nothing new there. It definitely felt like uh, the—I don't know—it it really felt more like Final Fantasy VII, nine kind of game with the pre-rendered backgrounds. Before then, you move on to the sequel of Shadow Hearts, that's quite obviously influenced by Final Fantasy X. Yeah, Yuri is even just real. I mean mechanics wise he's kind of exactly like vincent valentine he turns into the monsters and he uses like those various skills to like you know uh to attack so i mean it's kind of very much almost feels like a square rpg you know beyond the 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 judgment ring and the sanity points uh beyond that it kind of is like the more prototypical uh, jrpg in that in that respect okay well, yeah, then that all sounds great to me. Uh, mechanics are something that I'm very interested in and kind of seeing like how derivative something is. This sounds like it has a lot of really fresh ideas um, for the time, of course. Um, so Hopefully quest- we'll get an HD collection, you know. That would be pretty neat. To yeah. solve the fix that TB had with the backwards compatibility, you know, the whole... Got to get that tissue uh, to get that summon, yeah. Yeah, I, I keep saying if I win the lottery, I will buy the rights to this series. I will make an <laughs> HD collection happen, but until that I, day... I, I will kickstart that in a heart. Uh, yes! <laughs> kickstart. That's funny. Uh, so a question, the biggest question that I had... Uh, and then we'll get to audience questions here in a minute for you guys, um, is why did Shadow Hearts not do well with sales and critics at launch? Yeah, that's, uh, I think, three words spring to mind. Final Fantasy X. Um, <laughs> came honestly, out around the same time, huh? In the U.S., it came out within a week of Final oh, wow. Fantasy X. So, uh, obviously, audiences that were looking for that JRPG kick gravitates to the name that they recognize and rightly so i mean final fantasy X is a fantastic game um over here in pal regions though there was a good couple of months um shadow hearts released in i think it was about april whereas final fantasy X released i think it was around june or july of the same year so while we were waiting for 
Final Fantasy X, we had that little bit of a stopgap, something that would fill that void, and Shadow Hearts filled it perfectly. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's that's probably what solidified it as a cult classic. I think naturally, as human beings, we uh, we like to think that we stand up for the underdog, and definitely you pit you pit Shadow Hearts, mm-hmm. which uh, is the first game in a series, versus the tenth game in a series that's been running for over a decade at that point, uh, Final Fantasy, and Shadow Hearts definitely appears to be the shadow the uh, the shadow dog, <laughs> the underdog. <laughs> I think uh, that was an enemy. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, I think like the the initial. The surprising initial reaction that I saw to it of of mixed to negative reviews from critics, mm. um, the occasional you know like positive comments, mm. uh, but then sales that didn't really hit uh, too well. Seems like uh, Final Fantasy was a, a big reason why. Yeah, and I think Marketing and reviews. Yeah. They had yeah. no. Sorry, uh, I was just going to say even if they had made the decision to call Shadow Hearts Kodelka, I think they would have probably run into <laughs> the same problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it would be early 2000s, so internet reviews probably weren't as big as the time or even like mm-hmm. with social media, you know, we, you know, we could just go on and say, "Hey, I've been playing this game. It's really good." You know, I mean, you guys should should check it out. So really you're going off primarily what reviews are in like the various periodicals at the time with like GameFan, GamePro, EGM magazine. And with the mix to negative reviews, that's already telling most most gamers out there. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's pretty pretty average. So I don't know if you should really check it out. And that's kind of that's kind of the tragic uh, story behind a lot of games from the '90s is that we don't appreciate its value until almost a decade after it's been released mm. to really understand like how much of a good game it is. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I remember during the '90s that. Um, I you know I didn't have internet for a long time. I didn't subscribe to any major magazines. I picked up an in- a Nintendo Power off a shelf every once in a while, but beyond that, I didn't get gaming news. So if I was walking through a store and saw a game, I was like, oh cool, you know. Like I remember seeing a commercial on a on a CRT television in a window for uh, Final Fantasy X. Uh, that some shop was just like running the the intro for over and over again. But beyond that, I don't remember seeing so much. So I think word of mouth was really a big deal. Um, You know, on the schoolyard when we were kids, it was a lot of, oh, this game is great or, oh, this game isn't great. But if kids aren't picking it up in the first place, uh, you know, if Shadow Hearts isn't being picked up in the first place, Mm -hmm. then there's probably not a chance for that kind of word of mouth to to get strong at all. Right, Uh, right. So here's a question from Matthew Kane. This is from Facebook, uh, who asked, at the end of 25 hours, how annoying was the judgment ring? <laughs> <laughs> not one bit. Not one bit. I would, play, I would play any RPG that included that kind of system. Absolutely. Even uh, any kind of uh, rhythm-based system. I mean, I know uh, some of the developers of the Shadow Hearts series eventually went on to work on Lost Odyssey which is another fantastic one that oh, uses yeah. Love kind Lost of Odyssey. similar system. And uh, I, it wasn't annoying at all. I love it. Yeah, I mean, like, turn-based RPGs, like, we've kind of drifted a little bit away from that nowadays. 
But like back when they were trying out new experimental stuff like Super Mario RPG and Eternal Sonata, you have to keep it kind of interactive to the player, you know. So by giving you the judgment ring, you know, I'm always like kind of on my toes. It's like, okay, I got to make this attack, but I got to I got to make sure I focus in on what's going on. Like I can't just drift away while the turn based, you know, thing is going on. Just hit attack. So it keeps you it keeps you glued to the, the screen. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned Super Mario RPG too. Was uh, you know, you had to do that timing tap of the A button right in order to get kind of the extra uh, oomph of the attack in there. Um, things like that that make you pay attention, so that when you go back to even earlier turn-based games where it's just like just attack over and over and over again, like I like. <laughs> watch a movie on my phone or something while I'm playing it. <laughs> like, I think uh, even uh, Final Fantasy VI, like, you needed to do the suplex commands for Sabin, or you yeah. had to charge mm-hmm. up the bar with Cyan. Yeah. Um, what was the... Yeah, it's the only two I can really name well, off. like, what, with Gal, um, Gal yeah. um, having to choose, you know, what form you wanted him to take and all that sort of thing. Uh, slots... So there was a lot there. There was diversity between the character attacks. Um, Chrono Cross is one that I was thinking of where you had to choose between one, two, three as far as the strength of your attacks and their accuracy. So um, you kind of had to pay a little attention there. It was like they were playing around with that before we got solely into the really strong action RPGs that you see today. Right, right. So here's a a question from Chris Rice. On Twitter, who asked quite plainly, why is this series dead? Mm. What killed Shadow Hearts? Or who? Uh, I think we need to get the Emma Gray manuscript and resurrect it somehow. Um, <laughs> sure, what's I think the worst the problem, that can <laughs> Yeah, I think the problem at the moment is that nobody actually can pinpoint who owns the rights anymore. But really? uh, as far as I'm aware, it's... Uh, Part, it's just been assimilated and assimilated and I don't think I mean I've done some research online I, I think I've pinpointed who owns it but I still don't know but uh, I think what we're what we are getting at the moment is a lot of uh, kind of similar games and spiritual mm. successes that are sneaking out I mean I know the uh, makers of Shadow Hearts are working on something they've got something up their sleeve really? aside from that yeah I believe so Aside from that, there is one that just came out on Nintendo Switch a couple of months back called Le Grand Legacy that does something mm. very, very similar to the uh, Judgment Ring system. So uh, there's one to check out if it's you know if you want to try a Shadow Hearts ish game but don't have a PS2 or something. So interesting about the whole thing that you mentioned with um, rights is I just looked up Sacknoth, the developer. Uh, it says they went defunct in 2009. So, uh, yeah, you've got definitely issues uh, with uh, rights and things like that then. So, yeah, who knows? Another issue really comes down to the staff behind it because generally when these kind of games go into obscurity, like the staff just kind of like gets scattered to the four winds. That's probably why, to my to my chagrin, why we'll never probably see another Sukoden game as, mm. as long as we live. And I... Man, I would really like an HD collection of Sakoden games. Yeah, <laughs> that's just me. me. Too. That would be pretty great. Um, okay, next question here. This is from the 16-bit dad on Twitter. 
who had a couple questions for you guys. What was your reaction to the appearance of a certain female character from oh. the previous game in the first Shadow? <laughs> DB, you want to start or should I? Yeah, we're going spoiler. Spoilers on this one, right? Spoilers, 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 of course. Yeah, the voice in Yuri's head that's telling him where to be and where to go is the voice of Kudelka from the game Kudelka. Yes. Yeah. There's our were, connection. Huh? Yep. Yeah, who actually okay. does turn up late in the game and you get a party member, Hallie, who is actually Kudelka's son mm-hmm. in uh, the later game uh, Grind. But I think actually knowing that it's Kudelka that's been guiding you the whole way, that was a big revelation for me. And when that turned up, it it just blew my mind. I thought, oh, this is Kudelka too. So, <laughs> uh, some yeah. of the other, it certainly did happen yeah. for me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was that was a great. You know, when I found out about it, that's what really wanted. That gave me the motivation to really play this game initially. And I'm, I was looking into some of the backstory of this game, and I don't know if this was mistranslations or if this was just something they had to abandon just for expositionary reasons, but I believe Haley was, or I'm doing that again, Haley or Hallie, Hallie was supposed to be the son of Kodelka and Edward Plunkett from the original Kodelka game. Yeah. Because in the bad ending... And I think this is corroborated in Shadow Hearts because when you go to the Nemetin Monastery, you find a grave next to the the main site, and it says, "Here lies Father James," and that was a main playable character in Kodelka. Yeah. And in the bad ending, James sacrificed himself to kill the final boss, and Kodelka and Edward spend the night together. So you can make the argument that Haley is. Kodelka and Edward's son, but uh, mm. his name is more of a variation of Plunkett, so it's never outright confirmed. Yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Plus, when you consider that the bad ending of Shadow Hearts is what prompts the events of Shadow Hearts Covenant, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of using the bad endings as canon makes a lot of sense. Although, um, Truth be told, the good ending of this is also canon in a roundabout way, but that's a story for another time. Oh my, that is a <laughs> yeah. story that's quite. We could do a whole podcast on the story mechanics, I should well, say, of how this game goes about. Well, we definitely need to have you guys back to talk about uh, the sequel, and oh, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah definitely. and we can we should get in more into story for that one. That would be good. Mm. That'd be cool. good. So a follow-up question from uh, 16-Bit Dad was, do you think we will ever see this wonderful, epic, amazing, better-than-everything-else series come back? We kind of touched on that just now. Sorry, Dad. It sounds like it's a no-go for now until somebody works it out. Um, Who knows? Hey, if they can get Disney games on the Sega Genesis Mini, which I was like, how do they do that? Then they could do that. Castlevania we are, we are looking just at came a, out, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah. We are looking at a time where uh, a lot of surprising games are coming out remastered, and you keep thinking, what, really? They're remastering that? How? Why? Uh, How have yeah, they managed uh, to do that? So, yeah. never say never, I guess. Yeah. Secret of Mana yeah, 3 isn't... just made it to the U.S. shores, and we thought that was never going to come come yeah. down this way. Absolutely. Well, we thought Square had forgotten about Final Fantasy VIII. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they yeah, were yeah, just yeah. like either counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> you know, and, but here we are. 
Uh, yeah. Final question from 16-Bit Dad. Oh, and what makes this the best video game series to have ever been made so far? Because <laughs> you like it, 16-Bit Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, this is definitely a cult classic fan favorite. <laughs> so, I like, uh, you know, just the fact that unlike other RPGs, it's actually set in, like, you know, history. It's set in the mm. real life history. I mean, you know, it's not some far off magical land or some kind of uh, like pseudo surrealistic environment. Like this is actually supposed to be like the real world during like the early 1900s. And, you know, I just think that's kind of a fascinating uh, uh, aspect of it. It's one of the reasons why I always get into like Assassin's Creed or like fake grand order is just that frame of reference they use yeah uh, definitely that's that's an interesting element here um this is from uh severing faith on twitter uh i just like this comment it says it seems widely unknown um which is why this game didn't make such a splash um which is a crying shame i'd like to think it was well ahead of its time and people just couldn't handle its greatness <laughs> that's a great, that's a great one, answer. <laughs> one can make the argument, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a great. I would say so. That's a great. It's again cold classic. That's a great mm-hmm. cold classic answer. This is from Trinket in Eden. Um, if you're still accepting questions, what do you think the game missed out on? What could they have done better? Hmm. I'd have liked more interactions and deeper diving into the stories of other characters on the teams. I really like this question because. Uh, it's a great kind of thought experiment to take one of your favorite games and be like, okay, now what's wrong with it? Yeah, It's I okay. Think- I mean, because again, one of the themes of this podcast, you still enjoy it. You still love it, mm. but it's okay to criticize. Absolutely. Think, yeah. Yeah. One of the things about this one is that replaying it recently made me realize just that it is um, that typical structure of, Town, dungeon, boss. Town, dungeon, boss. And if they'd have played around with that a little bit more, sure, the towns and dungeons are fantastic. I mean, what other game have you got where very early on your town that you feel safe in just suddenly automatically becomes covered in blood and becomes (laughs) the dungeon? But if they'd have played around with it a little bit more like that, maybe that could have been interesting. And like, uh, like the question said there, there's so many characters in this world that could really have done with a lot more development i mean uh, right. sorry if i miss sorry if i mispronounce uh, zhu shen the uh, magic user that you meet early on i think there could have been so many more stories about zhu shen and mm-hmm. uh, his travels and uh, certainly the uh, valentine family of vampires that keep popping up throughout <laughs> yeah. the series yep. yeah. there's so many stories there that i think are just uh, just waiting to be tapped into so yeah i think a lot of a lot of it could have been down to uh, flashbacks would have been really, really nice. I mean, I know there are a few in there, but uh, they're mostly centered on Yuri and Alice. So maybe some of the other uh, characters could have been thinking about it. Wouldn't have been great if they'd have made a Dirge of Cerberus style game where you play as Margaret. <laughs> I I would. Or, uh... <laughs> I don't know Dirge of Cerberus mechanics-wise, but uh, <laughs> as far as shooters, I would say more like a Mass Effect, you know, using the Mass yes. Effect engine, that would that would definitely have been, uh, mm. been very, very interesting. Um, I think that the one thing it probably missed out a lot on is, like, with Kodelka, it utilized a lot of the quiet, intimate moments very well. 
you know, mm-hmm. especially with text and dialogue and even voice acting. And I like that the the setting had a lot of facets to it. Like you could learn a lot about the history of the Nemetin Monastery. And it just felt like yeah. we were kind of going through a little a little too much of the, the locale changing from Shanghai back to London and then to Wales. Like we didn't really have a lot of time to let it breathe. And that's what I kind of would have wanted more in with like side quests and like character arcs. Um, do you guys remember in Star Ocean, the second story, when you would find these little like private moments where you can just like walk around a town and says, Oh, Hey, you know, uh, this character wants to talk about this. It's like, okay, you know, I'll just jump into it, see what they have to say. You know, like those little pieces of dialogue, but it helps to really flesh out some of the characters. And I think that's something that this game could have used a lot of. Yeah. That, that, that old kind of, um, uh, methodology of world building and character development through interaction with NPCs, just ordinary people with their own individual stories. Because I think something that's become a lost art, there's a lot of um, big, big open world games full of NPCs that just have really boring dialogue. Yeah. Uh, that don't have any interesting stories. They're not quirky. They're not interesting. Um, they're just like, hey, my axe broke. Go cut a bunch of wood for me. I took a Nero to the knee. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But but having NPCs that sort of reflect on you as in, um, you know, share some themes with your characters' backstories and things like that uh, is just something that I think uh, was great about specific games, you know? So um, this is... This is the final question, uh, set of questions we're going to take. This is from Esper Dreams, um, who we were going to have on this episode. Uh, unfortunately, her uh, laptop went down, and so we weren't able to have her on. We definitely want to try and get her on in the future and see if we can talk Shadow Hearts with her as well. She's apparently a very big fan of it as well. Looking forward to that. I'm sorry you couldn't make it, Esper Dreams, but we dedicate this podcast uh, to you. So uh, you asked, though, what makes this game so unique and who were your favorite party members? We kind of have been touching a lot on that and uh, whether we were fans of the Judgment Ring or not. Um, But here's a great question I want you guys to answer in closing. Do you enjoy having both Yuri and Alice as the main characters? Or would you prefer to have only one main character? Mm. I would say I would definitely want both of them because they fulfill each other's like character journeys and story arcs very well. Like it's kind of like saying in Final Fantasy VIII, do you just want to have Squall but not have Renoa? And it's like, well, without Renoa, Squall's kind of boring in that regard. Yeah, like, oh you need, man, he would be. <laughs> you need There'd be the nobody balance. to pull him out of himself, right? <laughs> yeah, he'd just be going around going whatever. Whatever. Oh, so, I would this not is the reason no one wants to talk to you, Squall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, think, um, yeah, I think Yuri and Alice are just the perfect couple in this kind of game. You've got her innocence and his rudeness that kind of counterpoint each other at the start. Then, of course, they meet Zhu Shen, who kind of makes fun of both of them. But for the most part, it is their journey. And I think that's what you were saying earlier, Eros, the uh, the idea of Kodelka being set in one location kind of gave it that um, claustrophobic kind of feel, whereas I think Shadow Hearts, I think, is more of a journey because it goes from right. Asia to Europe and you're accompanying Yuri and Alice on this journey. And uh, 
from start to finish that from the moment they meet to the very end you know i think the fact that they're inseparable is essential mm. absolutely beautifully said well <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> you guys man i learned a lot on this episode uh, that's that's great i didn't didn't know a whole lot about this game coming in but it was great talking to two experts on shadow hearts um so thanks, Eros. Thanks, Ian, for joining me on this episode. Where Welcome. can our listeners find you guys, Eros? Uh, you can find me at Facebook at Eros Elric Cosplay. You can also find me on Twitter at Eros Elric. And if you happen to be playing Final Fantasy XIV, you can find me on the Cactuar servers under Eros Erlich. That's E-R-L-I-C. All right. And Ian, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at TeacherBloke85, and you can find my writing at TheWellRedMage.com. I am the regional exclusive mage on there. Come and check out my uh, Terranigma writing, if you like. And, heck yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, heck yeah. And uh, <laughs> if you find me on Twitter, just come and talk Shadow Hearts with me. Ah, uh, yeah. And get, yeah, both you guys are mages. Uh, you guys put out some stellar writing. Really enjoyed the Radical Dreamers. Um, thing didn't know anything about it uh, that was really great and yeah I really enjoyed the the Rocket Knight Adventures and the Rocketeer one really stuck with me I was like that well, this makes total sense why has nobody said this before <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys it was a pleasure chatting with you I'll catch you later thanks Red thank you pleasure to us well that's it for Magecast the spell is wearing off but stick around for a promo about another show I know you just love I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you liked it, please like, subscribe, and share this episode to help us reach a wider audience. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us and our vision for the future of civil gaming conversations with a monthly pledge of any amount at patreon.com forward slash thewellreadmage. The Magecast theme song, Celadon, was composed by Russell Gordon, whose work you can find on YouTube and SoundCloud. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. My name is Katie Cakes, and I am the host of Cake Bites, a podcast adventure through gaming history. I am just inviting you to come along with me on that journey while I interview people who have worked in and around the industry for the last 30 plus years to learn about their experiences and their perspectives to learn more about an industry that is continuously evolving. I hope you guys will join me every two weeks when I release a new episode of the show on all major podcasting platforms. You can learn more about the show at kickbites.com.